You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR, FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino Placerville. And it's time for the Monday edition of KVMR's Evening News. For their support, we'd like to thank Hospice of the Foothills, Western Nevada County's nonprofit hospice dedicated to providing compassionate end-of-life support for patients and families since 1979. Hospiceofthefoothills.org. Also, Circle's Wild and Scenic Film Festival online, January 14th through the 24th, a virtual experience this year with over 100 environmental and adventure films, with filmmakers, activists, workshops, and more, wildandscenicfilmfestival.org. After the NPR headlines and regional weather, I'll be speaking with Jim Anderson, who is the artistic director of the Short Center Repertory, based in Sacramento. And he's going to be talking about a production that is happening called All Clowns Included. Coming up. Also, we'll have this week's edition of National Native News and a report from NPR on how Biden's appointees are looking an awful lot like Obama's appointees. Closing out the newscast, we have Jim Hightower with a commentary. But first, NPR headlines, followed by regional weather. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. President-elect Joe Biden is scheduled to address the nation later this hour. NPR's Windsor Johnston reports his remarks come after members of the Electoral College cast their ballots today in his favor, pushing Biden past the 270 threshold to win the White House. The Biden transition team says tonight's address will focus on the Electoral College vote certification and the strength and resilience of the nation's democracy. Members of the Electoral College in all 50 states and the District of Columbia are wrapping up today's vote, a formality that has taken on added importance this year because of President Trump's refusal to concede the race. The president has also lost a string of lawsuits challenging the election, including a Supreme Court case that sought to extend today's deadline for the Electoral College to meet and block elections in key swing states from voting. Windsor Johnston, NPR News. The Wisconsin Supreme Court became the latest body to reject President Trump's arguments the election was stolen from him and the results should be overturned, ruling today ending the president's legal challenges in state court. Trump had sought to have 221,000 ballots in two Wisconsin counties disqualified. Legal action came hours before the state's electors were set to cast Wisconsin's 10 electoral votes for Democrat Joe Biden. Federal judge over the weekend dismissed the lawsuit asking the court to order the GOP-controlled state legislature to declare Trump the winner in the state. The Federal Trade Commission is ordering Amazon, Facebook, Twitter, and six other tech firms to reveal what kind of data they've collected on Americans. NPR's Bobby Allen reports it's the latest move among regulators in Washington to put pressure on big tech. Sacrificing the privacy of your personal data, it's often said, is the price we pay for free social media. Now the FTC is demanding tech companies to turn over documents showing exactly how that data gets used. The request is particularly aimed at how Amazon, Facebook and Twitter determine what ads are shown to consumers and how personal information is fed into algorithms that shape what people see on social media every day. The sweeping order also includes TikTok, Snapchat, WhatsApp and Reddit. 
Law enforcement officials and regulators have grown increasingly hostile to tech companies. Google and Facebook are now facing federal lawsuits, alleging the companies abuse their power and operate like monopolies. Bobby Allen, NPR News, San Francisco. Amid news of a major hack involving U.S. government agencies, other governments and major corporations worldwide are scrambling to see if they too may have been victims. Hack penetrated multiple U.S. government agencies and involved a common software product used by thousands of organizations. Russia, the prime suspect, has denied any involvement. Stocks closed mostly lower today amid concerns over a coronavirus relief measure and soaring COVID-19 deaths in the U.S. The Dow down 184 points today. This is NPR. Canada has begun administering the country's first doses of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine. Emma Jacobs has more from Montreal. Federal Health Minister Patty Haidu appeared outside the Maimonides Geriatric Center in Montreal with newly vaccinated 78-year-old Gloria Laluz. Haidu said that today Canadians can see the beginning of an end to the pandemic. I felt emotional because I know how worried and anxious families and healthcare workers are all across the country. The Canadian government says it could receive up to 249,000 doses of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine by the end of the year, the first steps towards vaccinating a population of 37 million people. For NPR News, I'm Emma Jacobs in Montreal. British health officials say the city of London and surrounding areas will be placed under the highest levels of restrictions beginning later this week. British Health Secretary Matt Hancock saying today the government in the country's capital needs to take swift action at a time cases in the greater London area have been doubling every seven days. Hancock says officials there have also notified a new variant or have identified a new variant of the coronavirus they say may be associated with a faster spread in the south of England. Early in-person voting has begun in Georgia's two U.S. Senate runoffs. The early voting period running through December 31st in some counties. It could determine the outcome of the races between Republican U.S. Senators David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler and Democratic challengers John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock. Majority of votes before the November 3rd general election were cast in person during early voting. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. And taking a look at the weather, first here in the Grass Valley, Nevada City area, looks like a low of 38 tonight, high of 58 tomorrow, partly cloudy tomorrow, but rain on Wednesday and Thursday with highs in the mid-40s. In Sacramento, low of 33, high of 56 tomorrow, partly cloudy tomorrow and Wednesday, mostly sunny beginning on Friday with highs in the upper 50s. And in Truckee, low of 11 tonight, high of 45 tomorrow, partly cloudy tomorrow and Wednesday with possible snow on Thursday. And then it'll be mostly sunny through the weekend. I'm speaking with Jim Anderson, and Jim is the artistic director of the Short Center Repertory based in Sacramento. Well, welcome to KVMR, Jim. Thank you very much, Paul. Uh, Jim, I understand the the company was uh, you helped found the company in 1988, and as an outreach uh, program of the Developmental Disabilities Service Organization. Tell us about this. Okay, well, the Developmental Disabilities Service Organization (DDSO) for short has art centers, uh, Short Center North, Short Center South in Sacramento, and another one in Stockton. And uh, for years, since 1975, uh, they've been providing visual arts and also performing arts services to train adults uh, with developmental disabilities. Um, 
and realize their potential. Uh, it's very much like uh, up here in Nevada City, you, you had a similar program called the Neighborhood Center for the Arts. And uh, it's a similar sort of uh, outreach uh, to the uh, community with developmental disabilities. So, so I understand that while you've been involved with this, this is since 1988, you've trained over 90 actors with various disabilities and presented over 25 full-length plays in mainstream theaters and festivals. Uh, that's quite an accomplishment, Jim. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, we started out doing, uh, you might say, more traditional plays. Uh, Endgame by uh, Samuel Beckett. Uh, maybe that's not so traditional. Uh, the Miracle Worker, that's uh, a title people will recognize. A whole spectrum of, uh, of theatrical pieces. And we presented them like at the Sacramento Theater Company and at Celebration Arts and uh, finally at California Stage, which has been our presenter uh, since uh, 2001. So that's 19 years we've been doing uh, productions there, including a, a show called Gilgamesh, which was uh, original. It was created for us, uh, and it was a world premiere based on the, the ancient legend, which people may be familiar with. And it was interesting, and this indicates the kind of work that we do. It was uh, the two main actors. Uh, one is a, a person with cerebral palsy and... Uh, and that's his disability, but he's a great memorizer and a great actor. And the other main character is a person who is deaf, a very fine actor who is deaf. Uh, and so it was really about the meeting of two worlds. It was the meeting about the the speaking world and the non-speaking or the uh, developmental, the DHOH world, the deaf and hard of hearing world, and um, how those two worlds are bridged, uh, and they finally come to an understanding of each other's uh, world. It's beautiful. Now, you had a show in uh, 2018, because um, you, you started teaching theatrical clown techniques uh, yep. called the Traveling Clown Theater, featuring seven clowns who are deaf or blind and have developmental disabilities. Uh, tell us about this. How did you evolve into into this particular uh, aspect of this? Work? Yeah, thanks. Uh, well, in 1996 was the first time we decided with two plays that we were running at that time uh, to add uh, an American Sign Language uh, signer uh, in the stage picture. In other words, they shadow the actor or actors. And uh, we were so impressed by the theatricality of American Sign Language that we always did at least one American Sign Language shadow performance highly choreographed into the, uh, into the action of the play. So they really were the, an element of the play itself. And that uh, got us going. And then through that, we got to know some deaf actors. And they joined the troupe first time, I think, in uh, 2006. And uh, at the same time, actually, uh, we happened, uh, someone happened to find us who was blind, uh, a blind actress who is still with us. And, um, and so they just brought a different sensibility, a different world perspective than the uh, developmentally and cognitively disabled people who had been the, the core of the company to that time. And more and more what we did was a synthesis of these different elements, which is good because, you know, it's inclusion, 
or inclusivity, as they you hear about so much, but uh, in a very big way. You know, it's a big tent. So that's what I would say. <laughs> I'm speaking with Jim Anderson. He's um, the artistic director of the Short Center Repertory, based in Sacramento. Uh, Jim, let's uh, let's get up to the present time right now. I know last year uh, you had a show uh, called. Intervision that featured six blind, low-vision clowns, and it was directed by a company member who was blind um, herself. And that's an expansion of the whole thing, to have developing directors, so to speak. Exactly. Her name is Regina Brink. She's an extremely talented actress and director, uh, and she is blind since the age of three. Uh, so uh, she's been in every play, I think, since 2006 that we have done. And, uh, f- and she also has taken this clown training that we've been doing for the last seven years. And so <clears throat> after we had done uh, um, the Traveling Clown Theater, which she was um, a member of, uh, a- along with a deaf actor uh, and the developmentally disabled actors, um, we decided, uh, you know, to reach out to the blind community specifically, and she uh, trained them in the technique that we've been using, and uh, then they wrote their own show, basically, and it was a wonderful show about the world of the blind, about what it's like in the world of the blind, not just to be blind as an individual, but to be blind as a member of a community. Uh, I could tell you much more about it, you know, but um, that's just kind of the evolution, and now sure. now we're moving Back to our roots, you might say, and the show that we're doing now, currently, is called All Clowns Included, and uh, that, again, is using developmentally disabled actors, or well, I'll be more, more definite. We have actors uh, on the autism spectrum. We have actors with Down syndrome. We have actors with uh, uh, ADHD, and um, each one of them brings a very unique energy and a very unique perspective. Um, And that's part, in a way, that's part of their disability. Their disability feeds into who they are and how they see the world. And so, in a way, what we're trying to do is to bring those other perspectives uh, to the mainstream audience, which in this case will be on Zoom, so it could be anybody in the world. That's uh, that was that's where I was going with the conversation. That this is not a normal year, so uh, and Jim, uh, we just decided to do this interview three or four days ago, and uh, I I've got to remind our listeners or tell our listeners that the current show, uh, all clowns included, will be um, on Zoom tomorrow night. Uh, t- it, tell us about this. It will indeed. It'll be on tomorrow night. And first, I'm going to tell you how to get there. Uh, what you should do uh, is on. Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, and then again we're repeating it on Thursday night at 7 o'clock. It's audio described for anyone who is uh, blind uh, um, or low vision, and on Thursday only it will be uh, signed with American Sign Language for the deaf and hard of hearing community. Now that being said, both both shows start at 7 o'clock, and here's how you you get to them. You uh, just send an email to s c r at d d s o dot org and i'll say it again s c r at d d s o dot org and okay. what we'll do is send you uh, an invite a zoom invite an hour before the show and then you can just check in 
and we'll give you instructions on how to uh, um, set your computer to watch the show optimally, and we'll all be enjoying it together. Jim, we're kind of running out of time, but can you give us just a little bit of a description of the show? Yeah, it's totally improvised. It's about 45 minutes long, um, uh, and it's a wild ride. Uh, when you come to this show, you're going to be uh, in developing the show, inventing the show with us. Uh, your reaction uh, is going to be very much part of what uh, inspires the clowns to uh, improvise in that particular moment. It's What we're trying to do is create the exact relationship that we have in a live theater where you can feel the audience and react to it. Uh, on Zoom, which is was quite a learning curve, <laughs> as you may know if you use Zoom. But it had certain advantages, we found, which is you, you, you can play in your individual boxes straight out, and you can see everybody all of the time. So there are some performance advantages, but I'll uh, tell you, this is the first time. This is a huge experiment for us, so I hope that you'll join us and be part of that experiment. And the show is about 45 minutes long. That's right. right. Uh, Jim, uh, once again, uh, uh, tell our listeners about uh, uh, the times of the show and, and how they can find out more about it and uh, and view the performance. Yes. 7 p.m. tomorrow night, Tuesday, and 7 p.m. again on Thursday. Get your invite to join the Zoom meeting, as they call it. It's our performance uh, by Sending an email to SCR, that's short center repertory, SCR at DDSO.org. And we will send you an invite, and you can click on the invite, and you'll be uh, in the audience. Um, that's all you need to do. <laughs> Jim, thank you so much for speaking with KVMR. Best of luck with your performance. Well, thank you so much. I hope to see you there. I've been speaking with Jim Anderson, and he is the Artistic Director of the Short Center Repertory based in Sacramento. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The Indian Health Service is preparing for its COVID-19 vaccine distribution this week. Members of the IHS COVID-19 Task Force talked about plans during a press call Friday. Vaccines are expected to be distributed to 11 IHS areas for personnel, workforce, and long-term care workers. Rear Admiral Francis Frazier is the lead on the IHS COVID-19 Vaccine Task Force. During Phase 1A, the Indian Health Service is expecting to receive 46,000 doses of Moderna and more than uh, 22,400 doses of Pfizer vaccine. This would allow the IHS to vaccinate 100% of its healthcare workforce and residents of long-term care facilities. Health facilities will use the remainder of the Pfizer and Moderna doses to vaccinate the next priority populations based on ACIP. Uh, guidelines. Early protection of healthcare personnel is critical to preserving capacity for to care for patients uh, with and without uh, COVID-19. Tribal health programs and urban health organizations have the option of getting the vaccine through the Indian Health Service or states. 
338 programs have decided to receive the vaccine from IHS. Two of the largest tribes in the United States are getting the vaccine from the Indian Health Service, the Cherokee Nation, and the Navajo Nation. Both tribes anticipate receiving the first dose of the Pfizer vaccine this week. The Cherokee Nation expects to receive 900 first doses, which will go to healthcare workers, elders, and Cherokee speakers. The Navajo Nation expects to receive 3,900 doses for healthcare workers, EMS staff, traditional practitioners, and long term care facilities. New Mexico Congresswoman Deb Holland says she'll support President-elect Joe Biden's pick for Secretary of the Department of the Interior, saying she's not being vetted directly by the transition team. Holland made the comments on a Washington Post Live interview Friday about her name being in the mix of possible people to lead the agency for the next presidential administration. Holland says her focus right now is helping tribes deal with COVID-19. This is an issue in Indian country. When we talk about Indian country, one of the most Um, challenged communities uh, because uh, they don't have the infrastructure, they don't have the health care they need. Um, We are working feverishly on that. Uh, What I will say about the Interior Secretary position is that our country has come a long way. Uh, I am so proud that Sharice Davids and I became the first Native women uh, to serve in Congress. And it's, I think it's wonderful that our country is progressing in that manner, uh, that a cabinet-level position uh, for, a, you know, filled by a Native American is, is, a, is a conversation that we're having right now. Tribal leaders, directors of Native organizations, and Hollywood stars are among those urging Biden to pick Holland to lead the Interior Department. Change the name advocates are taking to social media praising news. The Cleveland Indians are said to be dropping their team name. The New York Times on Sunday reported the team has decided to change its name and anticipates an announcement this week. Last year, the baseball team removed its Chief Wahoo mascot and logo. Change the name advocates, grassroots groups, tribes, and national native organizations are among those who've long called for the team to end the use of its mascot and change its name and they're calling on other sports teams to do the same. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by AARP. AARP creates and connects people to unique tools and programs, helps conserve personal resources, and tackles issues that matter most to individuals, families, and communities. More at aarp.org. Support by the Association of American Indian Physicians and the SAMHSA-sponsored Opioid Response Network, working across the nation to address the opioid crisis in tribal communities. Information and support at aaip.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. As President-elect Joe Biden crafts his first cabinet, many of the people he has chosen have something in common. Of the 13 he's named so far, nine served in the Obama administration when Biden was vice president. And on his team of White House advisors, many others have Obama White House experience on their resumes, too. 
Joining us to talk about this is NPR White House correspondent Franco Ordonez. Hi, Franco. Hey, Ari. A couple new names today confirm that this is a real trend. Tell us about these latest announcements. Yeah, Biden did surprise people today with two of these picks. They were people who were not in the rumor mill for these jobs. The first is Dennis McDonough, the former chief of staff for President Obama. He will be nominated for Veterans Affairs. He was a close advisor to Obama during some of his key foreign policy decisions. Now, the second is Susan Rice. Biden picked her to lead the Domestic Policy Council at the White House. Rice actually is also closely tied to Obama's foreign policy. She was the national security advisor for Obama and earlier was his ambassador to the United Nations. So it's kind of surprising that she was picked for this domestic role. And Biden formally announced that Tom Vilsack will be his agriculture secretary, named to be his agricultural secretary. He was actually Obama's agricultural secretary for eight years of the administration. Now, this shouldn't be that surprising since Biden was Obama's vice president. But how unusual is it to draw from the same well in a new administration four years later? Right. You know, historically speaking, it's not that unusual. I did talk to Catherine Dunn Tempest, who has studied administrations back to President Reagan. She's with the University of Virginia's Miller Center. And she says traditionally the best source of employees is from previous administrations because, frankly, they know the ropes. And she also says that this bunch here is coming back to a completely different situation than their first go around. What is the status quo? We are certainly not in an era right now where it's status quo. We have a pandemic on our hands. The economy is faltering. We have really high uh, racial tension in our country. I don't think it was like that in 2009. You know, but there is something that has changed, and that is the demand from progressives. And let's talk about that, because the president-elect has said he plans to assemble the most diverse cabinet in U.S. history. He's been under a lot of pressure to make good on that promise. Uh, Is he getting pushback on the fact that so many of these people are from the Obama administration? Yeah, there has been a lot of pressure. And, you know, I talked to someone who called this Obama 3.0. They're concerned that this new administration is too wedded to the same people. And progressives, they've been disappointed as well. Cori Bush, she's an incoming freshman in Congress from Missouri. She told reporters today that the cabinet so far is a missed opportunity for fresh faces. We have some amazing people that are doing wonderful work in this uh, all across this country and to bring some of those things that they've been working on in their uh, organizations, in their communities, in their business um, to this place, because we have to do a lot of a lot of work. We weren't in the greatest place when, when before Donald Trump took office. Yeah, you know, and the Biden team, well, they're very aware of the criticism as well, and they're pushing back. Transition spokesperson Sean Slavitt told me that the president-elect Biden is picking people who are, quote, crisis-tested and experienced, and who know how to use the tools of government to advance his agenda. Well, how far along is Biden in this process? Many nominations left to go? Well, most of the top White House positions are now filled. There are about 10 cabinet positions left. The biggest portfolio, of course, is attorney general. And then there are the positions associated with climate. I'm talking about interior, the EPA, energy. And we'll see how many more of these remaining positions have ties to Obama. NPR White House correspondent Franco Ordonez, thanks. Thank you. (laughs) 
You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR, FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino Placerville, and this is the Monday edition of KVMR's Evening News. KVMR's Evening News airs Monday through Friday, 6 to 6.30 p.m. Coming up at 6.30, we have Keith Porter with a special production for the News Hour, a piece called A River Runs Through It. And at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Closing out today's newscast, we have Jim Hightower with a commentary. Years ago, Robert Kennedy noted that making economic, political, and social progress is hard, for such advances require rejecting policies that sustain the establishment's profits and power. Progress is nice, he said, but its agent is change, and change has its enemies. His recognition that gutsy, honest leadership is necessary to confront the wealthy interests and advance the common good is directly applicable to one of the most important cabinet appointees President-elect Joe Biden will make, Secretary of Agriculture. The media and all recent presidents have dismissed ag as a second-tier slot that essentially belongs to the giants of industrial agribusiness. This has enriched faraway corporate executives and absentee owners, but it's been disastrous for farm families, small-town residents, and rural vitality. While the national media and their own government look the other way, a broad multiracial diversity of millions of middle- and low-income rural families face economic and social devastation. Not only are farmers being crushed by profiteering monopolies at all levels of ag, but the larger rural community is also being run over by massive polluters and pipeliners, low-wage factories, predatory retail chains, and other corporate extractors of rural wealth. The result is a countryside beset by a surge of farm foreclosures, joblessness, Main Street bankruptcies, creeping poverty, loss of health care services, weather calamities due to climate change, lack of broadband, outmigration of youth, COVID-19, suicides, and a host of other plagues. This is Jim Hightower saying it's time for change, and the place to begin is with the Secretary of Agriculture. The need here is so deep, widespread, and overdue that we the people must assert our grassroots voice. To learn more, go to ourrev.us forward slash agsec. Hightower's commentaries are brought to you by the Hightower Lowdown, the monthly newsletter with Hightower's take on what Wall Street and Washington are up to. For information, visit HightowerLowdown.org. That's our newscast for this evening. Next up, we have a special half-hour piece produced by Keith Porter titled A River Runs Through It. And at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Have a great evening, everyone.